You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Morning. We're doing a series that's going to be all summer for us. I've been saying, didn't plan on it being that. But the uh, title of the series is Jesus Said It. And, and kind of the, the premise of, of that is that I am afraid a lot of times we will take words of Jesus, things that Jesus taught, things that Jesus said, and just allow those things to be informational for us. Instead of taking it and applying it to our lives in a way that transforms our lives. I'm afraid sometimes we look at things that Jesus said and let them be something less than what they really ought to be in our lives. In the uh, modern day American church, I'm afraid we have maybe a special problem in that area. See, see, the thing about it, Jesus did not make any qualms or any apologies when he asked people to follow him. And in doing so, Jesus was asking those people to put him first. You know, not second, not somewhere down the line, but put him first. Jesus, without any apology, allowed people to know, was clear with people that came up saying they wanted to follow him. He wanted them to clearly understand there would be some cost involved in following him. That it would not always be easy, and that it would not always be simple, and that everybody would not always like you simply because you were following Jesus. And yet those concepts in the, in the modern day Christian church, especially like I said in America, I, I'm just afraid we don't think a lot sometimes about what it might cost us to follow Jesus. Because we live kind of in environments, and maybe it's because some of us aren't stretching ourselves enough being as dedicated as we should be to Christ, but we live in environments that many times we don't experience any kind of cost or any kind of pain or any kind of suffering. I'm afraid a lot of times we take the words of Jesus as though they're kind of optional or maybe a thing that we can take it or leave it. And I'm not talking about the lost world. I'm talking about the church. That we fail to allow His words and what He teaches to have the significance that it should have in our lives. And we don't tend to think a lot about cost or pain or suffering that we might could experience simply because we're sold out to Jesus and following Him. I'm afraid sometimes we feel like as long as we show up at church on Sunday or so many Sundays a month and we throw a little tithe money at Jesus, that Jesus is fully satisfied with us. And I think when I see what Jesus says in the New Testament, He wants so much more out of our lives as His followers. Today we're looking at this topic. Jesus said... Not everyone will be your fan. Now that might almost sound foreign to us because of the church culture that we live in America, but the truth of the matter is, simply because 
you have named the name of Jesus, you're following Jesus, you claim to be a Christian and telling other people that, that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, a cakewalk, and that everybody's going to love you. Because really the opposite sometimes is true. Look what Jesus said in these verses. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. That doesn't quite mean what you may think it does up front. We'll talk about that in the message. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly... I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man, Jesus talking about himself, comes or returns. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Jesus, as he speaks these words, is talking immediately to the disciples that were following him in that moment, warning them about some things that they would face. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus, in the way he speaks this and some things that he says, lets us know that what he is speaking of will also be in the future, affecting other believers who are following Christ. Ultimately, a thing called the Great Tribulation is even tied up in some of these things that Jesus says. What we're going to do is we follow along this thought. Not everyone will be your fan. Not everyone will be on your side. Not everyone will be happy that you're following Jesus and serving Jesus. It's trying to kind of get two main truths. One truth is going to involve some warnings that Jesus gives us. And then the second one that we'll close with will kind of give us some information about why you and I don't need to be surprised, why we actually ought to anticipate persecution or suffering or rejection and mistreatment by other people whenever it does come. So let's look at these warnings to start with, some, some warnings with immediate in prophetic application for the followers of Jesus. You see, it, it is not a strange thing in the Bible when you read the Bible for things that are in the Bible, especially prophecy, to have an immediate application and then to have a future application. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He, he's letting his immediate followers, his immediate disciples know that not everyone's going to be happy that they're following him. And he's also letting... Other believers, from then until now, he's letting us know. He's, he's letting people beyond us know 
that everyone will not always be happy because we are following, following Jesus. Warning number one is this. He gives us a description of ministry environments. <laughs> now, uh, I, I hate to, to burst anybody's bubble, but uh, ministry environments are not always fun, you know? Uh, you, you take it from someone who's been doing it several years. And, and Jesus is allowing his disciples to understand that. The environments, the situations, the conditions that you face as you are trying to serve Jesus and minister to other people will not always necessarily be fun. There, there can be some, some dangers, some difficulties. As he talks about a description of ministry environments, he says this, Behold, I'm, I'm sending you out. Tells this to his disciples, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. More or less, it's like Jesus has given them advanced training or advanced warning for what they will face. Let me illustrate that for a moment. When, when we uh, send soldiers out to the battlefield, we do not take someone that has never ever been trained whatsoever and just put a gun in their hand and drop them out in the middle of a battlefield and expect them to know how to function. They'll go through basic training and more advanced training and things like that. So they kind of know a little bit up front. They can't know everything, but they'll know a little bit up front what to anticipate and just what they might face as they're there in the battle. I mean, same thing for teachers. You know, teachers are trained and taught kind of to know what to expect, you know, potentially in the classroom. Now, some of my teachers weren't warned for me. I'm sorry, you know. They didn't have advanced warning for how Lynn Parsons was going to act, okay? I gave them some new information and new environments that they got a chance to face. But by going through that training, or, or someone that's a fireman, or whatever the case might be, or a police officer, they go through training so they'll be prepared to a certain degree for what they will experience. That's more or less what I think Jesus is doing here for his disciples and for us. He's giving us some advanced warning, some advanced notice that in ministry, there are going to be some difficulties that you'll face as he gives a description of ministry environments. Now, let's break that down a little bit. First thing you need to get as we think about these ministry environments is simply this. Followers of Christ are sent out. I mean, that's rather elementary, but I think we miss that a lot of times. See, some people just think that if, you call, if you're called to be a pastor or a missionary, or something like that. That means you're sent out. But I think the New Testament teaches that Jesus wants to send out every follower, every believer, to be involved in ministry in some way and to be serving Him. I mean, really, we need to develop a mindset. Whatever you do vocationally might not really be why you're there. You may be there vocationally earning a paycheck, but... Jesus may have you there to impact somebody's life. If you'd understand whatever you do, wherever you are, you're being sent out. He said, behold, I'm sending you out. And the word that he uses in the Greek is the same word that we get apostle from. It's apostello. It means to set apart. And that's what happens when we receive Christ as our Savior. We were lost in sin, and he sets us apart unto himself when we trust in Christ by faith. And then he wants to... Send us out on a mission. 
He has something for you and I to be involved with. And, and it's built on root words in the Greek that more or less mean this, off or away and to set fast. And, and just maybe, just maybe what the Holy Spirit is using those words for would be to maybe imply to us, to communicate to us that as we follow Jesus being sent out, we are going off or away from a life that's just lived for ourselves. And we are being set fast on a life that's lived for Him. That, that might be at the very basis of what He's saying. And that's a truth you really need to try and wrap your mind around. Because as I said a moment ago, I, I'm afraid many people in church, you know, think, well, I believed in Jesus, I'm going to heaven one day, I'll show up on Sunday, and I might sing some songs, I may even do something else beyond that. But I'm not really called to do anything but I think the New Testament teaches the exact opposite. It's not just pastors and missionaries and people like that are called. All of us are called to use the abilities and the talents and the gifts He's given us to serve Him. So He's telling His disciples that they are they're sent out. Second thing we need to get from this, as He talk, gives us a description of, of ministry environments, is that we need to be aware of the dangers in ministry. Look at that phrase. As sheep in the midst of wolves. Do you get that? See, some of you stayed up too late last night. Some of you are thinking, well, so what? You know, sheep in the, in the midst of wolves. Or like you're, uh. See, here's the deal with that. In case you didn't know, wolves eat sheep. So that's a little bit of a scary scenario to think about Jesus sending us out and sending his disciples out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And what his disciples experienced was that in a real fashion. Because you see, the Pharisees, really many of the Pharisees, were like sheep in wolves' clothes. And, and they faced persecution from, from the Pharisees and rejection from the Pharisees, just like Jesus did. The, the Roman government itself, you know, was, was there like, like wolves against believers, especially in that first century church when thousands and thousands of believers were persecuted and arrested and lost their lives. We, we don't... That concept doesn't worry us as much anymore because, like I said, in our church culture today, we don't think about that. That following Jesus means that we're out here maybe facing some wolves. And see, it didn't stop in that day and time. Regrettably, even in modern-day churches, there are some people within modern-day churches who are really wolves. And they will bare their teeth at you. Especially if you're just sold out for Jesus because they, you know, one, it will make them guilty sometimes. Two, there are a lot of people in churches that are still wanting to hold on to their own goodness, their own abilities, what they think will get them to heaven by their own works. And when you start telling them you're nothing and he's everything, they don't like it. But what does Jesus mean by that phrase? I mean, that we're to be sheep in the midst of woods. Is, is he trying to tell us that you and I as believers ought to just have this mentality, all right, I'm sheep, the wolves are there, 
I, I don't have any you know, hope, any chance. I might as well just lay down and let them kill me and eat me. You know, is, is, that, is that the mindset that we ought to have as believers? I'm sheep. I'm going to lay down. The wolves can kill me. See, I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. I think maybe Jesus is saying this. Sheep need to keep their eye on the shepherd. Amen? And it's when, especially, we're going through tough times, when we're being persecuted or mistreated, simply for Jesus' sake, in that moment, as sheep, what we need to learn to do is this. We look to our shepherd. Sheep, basically, are pretty dumb. That's why the shepherd would lead them and guide them and and take them to proper places to eat and to drink and things like that. And and that's what we need to do. When we're facing persecution, we need to understand it's not necessarily within us to retaliate. But instead, we're to keep our eyes upon the shepherd because the shepherd can protect us and, and feed us and defend us. I mean, just some basic things out of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Because He's my shepherd, I shall not want. I can be satisfied. The the Lord's my shepherd. That means He's going to make me. That means He's going to lead me. The Lord's my shepherd. He's going to restore my soul. When I'm beaten down and broken, it may be facing persecution or mistreatment, whatever. Simply because I'm a Christian, I can look to my shepherd. And see what He did for me on the cross. And find restoration for my brokenness in the midst of that. Even though I might be going through a dark valley of death. To where I could even lose my life. Simply because I'm following Jesus. I don't have to fear. Because my shepherd is there. And I'll keep my eyes on my shepherd. He's got a rod and a staff, one to guide me and the other to defend me and to protect me. So I won't be afraid. I really believe that's what Jesus is trying to let his disciples know. He's sending them out as sheep among wolves. And as they're there serving him and following him, and they face those difficulties, what they need to do is remember there's a shepherd to keep your eye on. And that's what we have to remember ourselves, to keep our eyes on the shepherd. Because in our human nature, you know what we want to do? If somebody mistreats us, We'll file it away and we'll think, you just wait till I get my chance. Or sometimes we won't even file it away. We just think, you know, right now I'm going to take care of it. Jesus is just letting them know some of the environments that they may face in the ministry. There will be some dangers involved in ministry. But instead of us saying, I'm going to take care of it, Jesus also lets his disciples know the attitudes that they ought to have. He says, because I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Here's the attitude you need to have. You need to be as wise as a serpent. And you need to be as innocent as a dove. Look at what he, those words mean just for a minute. The, the word wise simply talks about us kind of being thoughtful or discreet or cautious. In other words, maybe since he's talking about putting you out among wolves, if you're a sheep, that maybe means you're not crazy enough that you just decide, all right, I know that's the wolf's den. I'm just going to walk in it by myself. (laughs) To be a little bit more discreet about that, the idea of serpent literally means, the word means 
gives an idea of sharpness of vision. And, and it did mean a snake sometimes, but it talked about that, that serpent or snake having a sharp vision, maybe as being sly or cunning. It can also mean to be artfully malicious like Satan was. Now, we can't do that. That's not what he's telling us to do, to be malicious like Satan. But I think Jesus is telling us as his followers, we need to keep our eyes out. We need to have a a sensitivity and a sharpness of vision about the environments we're in in ministry and and how to do ministry and, and, and how to effectively do ministry. Instead of retaliating, we need to be innocent. The word simply means unmixed or innocent or, or harmless. It means we've got pure motives. Through, you know, we're, we're being real, we're being authentic, and, and, and we're not trying to you know, have the wrong type of attitude and, and, and you know, deep inside and act like something else on the outside. We're just being innocent, almost like a dove or, or a pigeon. You might could boil all that down by saying this. Basically, Jesus is telling us to be tough-minded yet tender-hearted. Be tough-minded as we face persecution, as we go through difficulties in ministry. Have a tough mindset, but don't allow that heart to become callous because of what you face as you're serving Jesus. Have a tender heart anyway, even though you might be persecuted, even though you have woes that are attacking you. Warning number two is this. Beware of men. Beware of men. Now, that can be a little bit difficult, you know, because by beware of men, he doesn't mean just go off and become a hermit. Let, let me illustrate that. You know, I, I, you know, the first service maybe couldn't do this. Most of you can. Look to your right. Go ahead. Look to your left. Look in front of you, behind you. Did you just figure out you've got people all around you? So you can't just avoid people. That's not what he's saying. He is saying you need to beware of people. Now here's why. The wolves that he just talked about, guess who the wolves are? People. People who are acting like wolves. People who dislike the gospel. People who are not your fans simply because you're following Jesus. You need to beware, to, to hold you know, your mind in a certain way towards, to pay attention to, to be cautious about how other people might treat you. I don't know if you've ever done this, and I, you know, I have and, 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 and everything, and sometimes you just have to learn, and sometimes, sometimes I wonder if I ever learn, you know, sometimes. But if, have you ever just, uh, you know, before you really knew somebody and you thought you knew them, you kind of told them something that maybe you shouldn't have told them about yourself, and then first thing you know, it's, you know, that kind of thing. Be, be a little bit cautious about people that are around you. Use a little bit of sense because some of the people are wolves. And in particular, as Jesus talks about this, he's given us specifically a couple of types of people to beware of. First, he says this, more or less, beware of religious people. Now, I know that sounds wrong, doesn't it? Because, you, I, I mean, we kind of like to have this mindset 
that religious people are all good people, so why should I have to beware of religious people? I'm not talking about authentic Christianity. I'm talking about people who are just hung up on religion. See, people hung up on religion, they're still hung up on how good they think they are, how they can earn their status before God based upon their behavior and things like that. And you go telling them you're bankrupt before God and your only hope is that Jesus died on the cross and the only way you'll ever go to heaven is not by your own merit at all, but completely by His finished work on the cross. They don't like that many times. Religious people will dislike that type of message. That's why the Pharisees hated Jesus. He said, beware of men. He's he's kind of telling the disciples, you need to be, be aware that there's danger from within sometimes. Because he goes on, he says, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. Here's, here's what some of those words mean, deliver you, mean they're going to surrender you up. They're taking you to court. They're taking you, trying to get you in trouble. Some translations say court. Some translations say council. What it means is a joint session of the, of the Jewish Sanhedrin. It was a religious council. It was like a local tribunal that you were bringing somebody before. And you're being flogged, which literally means beat with a whip. Legally up to 40 lashes. Did you notice where it was happening at? The synagogue. Now here's a little side message before I get back to the the main application of that. We need to be careful that in the church today, we're not a place that just pulls out a whip and beats people up when they show up. The world does that to them enough. I'm not saying we don't tell them the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth of what the Bible says, and you won't like some of it, and I won't like some of it, but that doesn't change the truth of it. But I'm saying we need to be careful that we just don't have the mentality and the mindset as the church that we're going to pull out a whip and beat somebody up because they're not like us, they don't act like us, they don't exactly do what we want them to do, they don't look like us, and we're just going to beat them up when they come. Well, preacher, why would you tell us that? Because that happens in more churches than you'd realize. He's letting them know you're going to be flawed at the synagogue, the, the place where the Jews gathered together for worship. A place of, of religious activity. And he's warning them that you're going to be beaten up there. So it sounds wrong, and it is wrong, but it is still a warning that needs to be heeded that Jesus gives his disciples that you need to understand religious people. You need to beware of religious people because religious people, that's why I'm doing this in quotations. I'm not talking about someone authentically sold out to Jesus. I'm not talking about someone that loves the message of grace. Religious people, by their very nature, hate the message of grace many times. And if you're sharing the message of grace, they're going to hate you. And we'll see later in the message, they hated Jesus. And if they hated Jesus, they're going to hate us many times. So Jesus tells us we need to beware of religious people. He also tells us we need to beware of political people. 
Time out. Let me get everybody's attention. Everyone focus this way. Everyone listening. Don't hear part of it. Don't somebody go away and say, well, pastor was beating up on politicians. By political people, I'm talking about the type of people that put that type of status more important than God. I hate to say it, but over the years I've had in the ministry, I have pastored some people that were better Democrats, Republicans, Independents, whatever they were, than they were Christians. And they cared more about what a party said than they cared what the Bible had to say. And that's wrong. I don't care what party you're part of. But he's warning them that by you serving me, you may wind up in front of some political people. And if you thought it was bad to get flogged down at the synagogue, these political people might throw you in prison and might even kill you simply because you're following me. Check out the history of the disciples. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. See how often that happened. He said you'll be dragged before governors and kings. You're actually going to be driven there. That's what the word means. They're going to force you, drive you before like local rulers. That's what a governor was. Or the king, of course, was like the ruler of the land. It's what the word means there. Someone that's a, a, a full sovereign. And he's just telling them, you need to watch out. Because by serving me, it may not be that everybody's going to love you. And especially, you might discover sometimes that government officials will not love you and you might be put in prison or you might die from serving me. Which brings us to warning number three. In light of that being a possibility, warning number three that Jesus gives us is this. You and I need to depend upon the Spirit of God. When we face persecution, whether it be from within, from religious people, or from without, out in the world, pagan rulers or whatever the case might be, we must learn as we're facing persecution and problems and mistreatment in our lives simply because we're following Jesus. Be sure you get that factored into what I'm saying. I'm not saying you're in a bad state because of bad choices you've made. I'm saying you were doing your best to follow Jesus and it got you in trouble. It did to a lot of people. You'll see that in a moment. He said, when they deliver you over, don't be anxious. Don't be worrying about how you're to speak or what you're to say or what you're to say because what you will say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father, the Spirit of God speaking through you. He's telling them, if you get in trouble following me, don't be anxious thinking, how in the world will I respond to a governor? How in the world will I respond to this leader? He's giving them some comfort to let them know if you're in trouble because you're following me, here's the deal with that. Depend upon the Holy Spirit of my Father, and my Father's Spirit will tell you what to say. Here's just some of those words. We'll cover them real quickly. But, you know, once again, you're being delivered over, yielded up, transmitted over, you know, to these people. He said, don't be anxious, don't be worried about, don't be sitting around taking thought. What in the world will I say? Instead, the Spirit of the Father. That refers to the Holy Spirit of God. But you go down to the most basic meaning of the word in the Greek, and it literally means the very breath of God. When we are in those situations, the breath of God can fill us and tell us exactly what we ought to say. A comforting thought. Now, having said that, 
I need to run a rabbit for a minute. Will you chase this rabbit with me for a second? That does not mean, as some people have applied it and taken it, that you never ever need to study the Bible to prepare yourself to teach or preach. That is completely out of context. And yet, that's popped up all through my years in the ministry. I can remember right after I was called to preach and getting around some of these guys that thought that. And if I told them, and, and I mean, this might be a shock to some of you, but I study 20 to 25 hours a week for, for this on Sunday morning. And, you, you know, if you, if you think it sounds like I took 10 minutes, please don't tell me, okay? And I could get around some guys and start talking about studying and things like that. And it'd be like, well, you know, what are you doing that for? All you got to do is get up and the Holy Spirit of God to tell you what to say. All you got to do is get up and God will fill your mouth. Something will fill your mouth, I doubt, if it's God. And I doubt if you'll be saying things that God wants you to say all the time. My homiletics professor, who, uh, by, by the way, uh, the first homiletics professor I ever had is Bob Evans, who's a pastor of First Baptist Granite uh, here. And uh, Bob was teaching a homiletics class that I was taking. That's the study of preaching is what that is. And uh, as we were taking it, Bob talked about, you know, some people like that that have that attitude, and they get up, and, and they've always got something to beat on and bang on and fuss about. But then sometimes they'll run out of something to say. And, uh, and Bob kind of emulated what happens in those times. And he said, then they'll stand there and look out at you and say, bless God, look at you out there chewing your chewing gum. As though, you know, that's part of the message. I, I've never read, thou shalt not shoot chew, chewing gum in the Bible. I, I, I'm not, you know. The, 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 the point of that is a lot of unbiblical things will be said if people just get up and, and, and ran and rave, and, and they'll most of the time be on their own little hobby horses all the time, what they're dealing with, that's not what this passage teaches. This passage is saying in an emergency situation, when you have been brought before a ruler and you're worried about what in the world am I going to do, he's telling you the Holy Spirit of God will tell you what to say in that moment. In an emergency situation. Because you see, it can't be what these other people say a lot of times because the Bible also says this. Look here in Timothy. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He's warning us that dangers will come and we'll face difficulties in the ministry and we need to beware of men and, and we'll face people that will want to persecute us and even do us in. And, and what we need to realize is this. We need to depend Upon the Spirit of God. Number four warning, you will not like, I don't like, but this is what Jesus told them. The fourth warning is this. Persecution may lead to death. Following Jesus and being persecuted simply because you're following Him may actually lead to death. Man, look how tragic this is, what Jesus says. Brother, We'll deliver a brother over to death. I've got one brother who lives in Wilkes County. That would be like me taking the officials over to my brother's house and saying, he believes in Jesus. Take him, arrest him, and kill him. The father 
will deliver his child to death. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, before I apply that in the way the message is fully going, I want you to notice something. Is it not ironic that three institutions that God created, the family, government, and organized religion, or, you know, quote, the church, one day are going to be joined together under a one-world order to fight against Jesus and persecute people that follow him and even put them to death. Think about that. Jesus created those three institutions, and one day the Bible tells us they're going to be rolled together in opposition to the very God that created those institutions. Look at some of the words that he uses here. Rise against. It literally means to stand on top of somebody. It's like you've knocked them down and you're standing on their chest, attacking them. People will rise against people to have them literally killed. He said, you will be. Jesus did not say it might possibly happen. Jesus said, you will be hated. In other words, it's going to come to pass. It's going to happen. You will be hated. You're going to be detested and persecuted for my name's sake. And the word literally means the channel of the act, which simply means this. What got you in trouble is serving Jesus. What got you in trouble is following Jesus. That's why you're being persecuted. And then he says, endure, stays under, remain to undergo, to persevere, to abide. Second Timothy Chapter 3 and verse 1 through 5 gives us a picture of this. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying his power, avoid such people. You see, that is the attitude that leads to what we just read about, people giving people over to die simply because they follow Jesus. Simply because they're following him. Now, I know I need to give you some more pictures of that because, like I said, in our American culture, we just don't think about that. We're in a, quote, safe environment. We can come to church and not worry about being arrested or soldiers showing up with guns. Here's what Tacticus, a Roman historian, wrote one time. Besides being put to death, he's talking about the Christians under Nero's persecution. They were, they were made to serve as objects of amusement. They were clad in the hides of beasts, bloody hides placed upon them. So the dogs or the lions or whatever the case is would tear at their bodies and kill them. Others were crucified. Others were set on fire. And some were set on fire just to illuminate the night. Nero at one time threw a party and he decided to go get a lot of Christians and put them on poles and put tar upon them and use them as a torch to light up his party. 
We don't think a lot about that, do we? And yet, all down through the history of Christianity, people have suffered right now today. People are suffering across this world for Jesus' sake. And we tend to put it out of our mind because we've got this safe environment. A website I went to this week, persecution.org. I had some very vital information. One of the points I, I, I failed to get up on the screen but it said there's an estimated 100 million Christians facing persecution right now in North Korea, North Africa, Iran, and Saudi Arabia. The Vatican did a study and brought out a study that said around 75 of 100 people killed for religious hatred in the world today are Christians that are being killed. In the Sudan, since 1984, there have been an estimated 1.5 million Christians killed by the Arab Muslim militia. Now, somebody's going to think I'm getting political now. I'm not because there have been both, you know, both parties were in office during this time, can I ask you a question? If our country and our nation and our leaders are so much concerned about humanitarian efforts, why did we never go into the Sudan and do one thing about it? We've used it as an excuse everywhere else. Even in some recent moves, that we may tell me why we sat back and allowed 1.5 million Christians to be slaughtered in the Sudan. I'm sorry, but I'm cynical sometimes. Maybe it's that there's not enough oil in the Sudan. And maybe sometimes we need to be a little bit skeptical because I, yes, Samaritan's Purse went there, other Christian organizations went there. But for us to say a lot of our military action has taken place because of humanitarian efforts and our nation didn't do one thing about these Christians being murdered ought to highly concern us because if they didn't care about it there, they might not care about it if it happens here one day. Serving Jesus could, I'm not saying it will, but could actually lead to your death. Persecution. Because you're serving Him. Now, what did Jesus mean? Because I need to deal with this. What did Jesus mean when He said, if you endure, if you stay underneath it, if you persevere, the persecution that you're going through until the end, you'll be saved. He is not talking about spiritual salvation. That's not what He's saying. In other words, you can't go out here and get somebody to beat you up for Jesus and say, I'm going to heaven because they beat me up for Jesus. Okay? That's not what He's talking about. I think what Jesus means by that statement is this. If you're being persecuted as a Christian and you stay underneath that persecution and you do not deny Jesus and you stay underneath it, even though it costs you your life, that gives evidence that you're an authentic, genuine believer. Because it has nothing to do, it can have nothing to do, because it would contradict what the Bible says about spiritual salvation. That's not what it's talking about. Warning number five. 
And this is probably the most important warning that Jesus gives us. And that is simply this. When we are facing persecution, we need to use, allow that persecution to be an opportunity for us to witness for Him. He said, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. In other words, if you are arrested for Jesus' sake and you're brought before a king in this world, here's what you ought to use it as an opportunity for. You need to tell that king about the king of kings. You need to use it as an opportunity to tell that king, that ruler, about Jesus. See, here, here's kind of the, the situation in that. You do understand, I hope, that when you are going through difficulties, and in the midst of difficulties and persecution, mistreatment by other people, whatever it is, if in the midst of that you use it as an opportunity to stand for Jesus, that is a stronger witness than if everything's great in your life. Do you realize that? Here's why. If everything is perfect and great in my life, and I'm being a witness for Jesus, then the lost world or the people around me can stand back and say, well, sure. I mean, everything's going great. Everything's going fine with Him. But, on the other hand, if I am facing persecution and difficulty and problems in my life because of Jesus, in that moment, that is a better time for me to stand stronger in Him than any other time because that gains the attention of people when we, through our suffering, stand for Jesus anyway. Not when everything's going great for you. That's why we need to use this, use persecution as an opportunity to bear witness. The word for bear witness is the word we get our word martyr from. And it simply means that we're to be given evidence as we are being facing persecution, as we're being mistreated. We have the opportunity to provide extra evidence in that moment for Jesus, as I said a moment ago, than any other time. As we're being martyred, we can be a witness that the testimony will last much longer then if everything's neat, everything's great in my life. Verse 23 said this, When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you would not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. He's telling us when they are pressing upon us, hunting us as Christians, He's telling us that we need to have the wisdom sometimes to actually flee and go to the next city. Because he said that by the time he comes back, he's telling his disciples they would not have had time to go through all the cities of Israel. And the word not have gone through literally means to discharge a debt or to carry out a mission or to do something we're called to do. Here's... What we tend to do in our flesh is this. If somebody mistreats me, if somebody hurts me, if somebody's persecuting me for Jesus, you know what I tend to do, what you tend to do? And be honest, we tend to do it in our flesh. We go on a pity party, don't we? Oh, poor me. When instead of going on a pity party, 
We need to understand that there's work to do that's so important. That because of what Jesus did for us, we need to be sharing the gospel with others. Because Jesus changed my life, I need to be trying to help change other people's lives with the gospel. And I don't have time to sit around and worry and have a pity party because there's so many people to reach, so many cities to go through with the gospel before Jesus comes back. You and I need to be busy. We don't have time for pity parties. We need to use suffering in our lives and persecution in our lives and view it as an opportunity for you and I to share the gospel with other people. We're going to close by simply looking at one other thing. Jesus gave us some warnings, but I want you to notice why you and I as believers, as followers of Christ, why he told those initial disciples and why it still has application for us. Why we, as the followers of Christ, should anticipate being mistreated. We ought to anticipate it happening. We ought to understand that it is a possibility and not let it surprise us or catch us off guard. Look what Jesus said in those last two verses. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they've called the master of the house, referring to Jesus himself, Bezalel, how much more will they malign those of his household? Now, I'm just going to hit the highlights of these word studies and let them bring them up on the screen. But Jesus is telling us in those, in those words there, if we're a, a disciple, bring up the, the next screen. If we're a disciple, it simply means to be a learner or a pupil. And that's what you and I are to be as the followers of Jesus. We're to be learners of how to follow Him. We are not. The word means in the Greek, absolutely not. Somebody that's following Jesus is not more important than Jesus. And we're not more important than our teacher that was a reference to Christ. Not only are we to be learners, but He uses the word servant. And He's talking about a bond servant, someone who has chosen volitionally of their own will to be a servant of the person they're following, of their master. We are to be a laborer, not just learners, but laborers. And somebody that is a servant is not more important than his master. And then Jesus said, it's enough, it's satisfactory or sufficient to be like your teacher or like your master. And by Jesus saying that, here's what he meant. He's using a proverb that meant this in that day and time. A, a, a disciple, a learner in that day and time, lived with his teacher and would follow his teacher wherever he went. That's what the disciples were doing with Jesus. So as you followed the teacher, you experienced in life what the teacher is experiencing. So if we're following Jesus, that means you and I might just experience the same type of rejection that Jesus faced. In that day and time, a servant, in particular a servant that was following a soldier to war or something like that, the servant would not just be an armor bearer and come out and give the armor over to his soldier, to his master, and say, I'll see you later. I'll be back when the fighting's over. He was expected to stay there and fight beside of his master. So a servant would also experience in life what the master was experiencing. And that's what Jesus is telling us. That we as his disciples, as his followers, 
we need to anticipate and expect that we might face the same type of things that Jesus faced. And here's some of what he faced, and these are the words. He said the master of the house, talking about himself, means Jesus is the head of the family of God. They call Jesus Beelzebul, which means dung God. You understand what dung is? I need to get more graphic. <laughs> dung God or, or, or Lord of Flies. It's also sometimes used as a name for Satan. And the name kind of meant this. Flies are the Lord of Dung. <laughs> I probably shouldn't go there, but I will. Have two dogs. And I'll take them out, you know, most of the time, one right after the other to go out to a certain area of our yard. And I, and I noticed that I take the first dog out, and the first dog does its thing. And by the time I take it back in and get the second dog and come out to the same area, the thing that the first dog had just done, there's already flies that have found it. I don't know how, I'm just telling you, that's, that's their realm. That's the kind of message that they were giving toward Jesus. It's like they were saying, you're, you're, you're like a fly on top of poop. You're, you're the Lord of flies. That You're like a, a God over dung. And it was even used to refer to Satan. It's like they were saying, Jesus, you're evil. Now here's the thing about that. If they'll say that about him... Who in the world do we think we are to think we can follow him unscathed and unpersecuted and untouched by life, never suffering when Jesus bled and died for us? We need to anticipate it will happen. What should we do when it happens? This will really blow your mind. Look what the disciples did. Next verse. All the stuff that Jesus talked about, some of the disciples here just kind of experienced some of it. They've been arrested. They've been brought in before the council. They've been threatened and stuff like that. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. I'm not saying it's easy. I am saying this. That if you suffer literally for Jesus, you and I need to have the attitude that we can rejoice because He did so much for us. We ought to be willing to suffer for Him if necessary. Jesus said, not everybody will be your fan. Jesus warns His followers that you're going to face some people that will be like wolves baring their teeth at you. Jesus warned his followers that it won't be always easy or fun following him. It could even literally cost you your life. But Jesus said, even though you get in trouble following me, even though you're arrested, even though you're persecuted, you need to understand this. You have a great opportunity in that moment, greater than when your life is going well. You have a great opportunity in that moment to tell people about me. 
Because you've got their attention then in what you say in that moment much better than any other time in your life. Let's pray. Father, God, to start with, I, Lord, I, I, I just feel burdened for us to pray for, for Christians around the world that are suffering right now, that, that are being persecuted simply because they're following you. God, I pray right now, wherever they are and whatever they're facing, that you would encourage them and strengthen them and comfort them. But God, more than that, God, I pray that you make them amazing witnesses for you in the midst of their pain and their suffering. Father, I pray for us in this place that, God, if, if our culture continues to slide, and Lord, one day if, if we potentially face such things here in America, God, that you'll help us to stand strong for you. Father, when people mistreat us, instead of us wanting to retaliate, help us just to keep our eyes on you as our shepherd. And, and God, help us just to continue to follow and serve you. Lord, if there's someone here in this place this morning that does not know Christ as Savior, God, help them right now to see that you, you gave everything through your Son. That Jesus was persecuted and beaten and nailed to a cross and bled and gave his life in our place so that through him we can have everlasting life. And Father, if there's someone here that needs Christ as Savior, help them right now to admit to you that they've sinned. And to quit trying to hold on to religion or good works. And God, help them right now just to say yes to Jesus. God, draw them to yourself right now that they, that they have the faith they need to say yes to you. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. As they do our invitation song, a time just to make a decision, a you know, move that maybe God wants you to make. First suggestion is possibly this. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, why not come and trust in Him? It might not be easy today because I've just told you you might lose your life following Jesus. But if that were to happen to you, you've got all eternity with Him. So if you need Christ as your Savior, as they say, why not step out and come? And we'll have someone to spend time with you and share with you what it means to trust in Christ. Some of us might need to come up and pray in advance and say, God, next time I'm persecuted, next time I'm suffering, or God, whenever it happens, instead of me getting angry and wanting to retaliate, help me just to keep my eyes on the shepherd. God, help me be prepared for persecution when it comes. You know what I think a lot of us maybe need to do right now as, as she sings? Maybe come out and find a little place you can kneel and pray. And pray for Christians who are suffering, persecuted right now in this world.
And if God lays that upon your heart, why not slip and come up here and kneel and pray? Say, well, I don't know who they are. That's okay. God does. Just come and pray for believers in this world who are suffering because they're following Jesus. Please stand as she sings. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Basin Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.